This is Renew Church OC. Thank you for joining our podcast this week. My name is Wilson. I'm the lead pastor here. I just wanted to acknowledge how heavy this week has been for our nation. And as a church community, we're grieving over the systematic injustice against the black community. At the same time, we're praying for the police officers, for reform, for their safety, and ultimately that our nation would be healed and mended. This was a really important sermon for me as we finished up the book of Matthew. I just really believed that this was a moment to speak and understand everything going around us through the lens of the gospel. So I hope that the sermon brings encouragement to your soul and that you're able to bring together your faith as you look at everything going on around us. God bless. Because of our um, technical difficulties, I'm just going to read this question. Identify some places of division in our country and what side are you on? You know, when I think about our country, there's just so many fractures and divisions. And we're just kind of yelling back and forth over Facebook, like toddlers, where you yell a lot and you don't really hear the other person. Um, This doesn't apply to everyone, but there's like a black versus blue, right, argument where people are entrenched on their side, where each uh, video is showing kind of the worst of each other. We have a Trump versus Biden uh, entrenchment, again, throwing rocks, uh, portraying the other person as completely evil, liberal versus conservatives. And some people believe that uh, the coronavirus is a hoax, right? Whereas other people are mask Nazis. They judge everyone who's not wearing a mask, which, you know, There's reason for that. And then there's other people who this whole thing is not even even real. You look at our country, and I've never seen a bigger chasm and divide. I've never seen uh, people demonizing the other position so, so viciously and defending their own. But this has kind of always been true. When we look at this passage we're going through, the Jews and the Romans had this huge divide. And for the Jews, the Romans were the oppressors, they're evil, um, and, and they've always been the enemy. And for the Jewish people, they were waiting for a Messiah. Many of them were rallying around different um, militant leaders in order to lead them into freedom, in, the, in order to to overthrow the Roman Empire. And that's what a lot of people put their hope in Jesus as, right? They they hoped and believed that he would be the Messiah. And what they meant by that was the uh, army general to overthrow the Roman Empire. There was a chasm and they wanted to overpower the Romans. And so when you think about Jesus's uh, miracles, I think many people saw it from a military lens. Um, we, we have him feed thousands of people, and, and in their mind, they're thinking, he can feed a whole army. We don't need a supply chain. We show up, 
and, and we're fighting and we're fatigued from battle and immediately Jesus multiplies food and everyone's replenished, right? Or you think about his healing powers, um, him being able to have a shrivel hand grow or give someone who is crippled legs again. And again, from a military lens, you, you fight the Romans. They might be better outfitted. They have sharper swords. They cut off a lot, limb and you just yell for Jesus and he grows your limb back. I mean, what an amazing Messiah to fight alongside of. Over that, he can raise the dead. So even if the Rom- Romans kill you, he will raise you back up to life. This was the hope that I think even his disciples were putting on Jesus. You see this when a, a city expels them and curse at them. And they ask Jesus if he could rain fire from heaven, you know, testing the tools that he has for military conquest. And, but as we near the end of his life, we see people falling away from that hope. We see Peter rebuking Jesus. We see Jesus talk more and more about dying and they don't get it. They want him to talk about conquest and he's talking about sacrifice. They want him to talk about hating the Romans and he's talking about forgiving your enemies. Here in Matthew chapter 27, it says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor And the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you here to lead a rebellion? Are you here to overthrow the Roman Empire? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and prophets, or chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now is the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. There's a lamb motif here, and we see this first play out as we talked about in the Last Supper. Jesus is taking the Passover, taking this lamb that was hugely symbolic to the Jewish people as 
they were, it was part of their delivery from Egypt. On the last plague, God gave them the instruction to kill a lamb, put its blood on their doorposts, and the angel of death will pass over them. And that's where the word, that's where the festival of the Passover happened. But after that, lambs were killed to forgive people of their sins. And when Jesus walks in to the scene, the first thing we hear about him from John the Baptist is behold the Lamb of God who forgives the sins of the world. And here we have that continue to play out in the Last Supper, but also in this narrative. We see Jesus silent before the governor. It says he, he didn't speak a word. He didn't defend himself and this amazed the governor. And it fulfills Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus, as he was standing before the governor, could have defended every single accusation brought against him. But he wasn't standing there on his behalf. He was standing there to absorb the accusations of the enemy against our life. He was there to absorb our sin, to take our sin for us. As the lamb would do in the Old Testament, Jesus would fulfill the symbolism of the lamb, the motif of the lamb in himself. The lamb was just a placeholder, a marker for the real lamb of God, who was Jesus to be sacrificed for our sins. We see this secondly as Barabbas is released and Jesus is crucified. In Leviticus chapter 16, 9 through 10, we have have the Lord instructing Aaron to bring two goats, right? And they were to cast lots and one goat was to be sacrificed and the other was a scapegoat and it was to be set free in the wilderness. And we see this symbolized very literally in Barabbas and Jesus. Barabbas was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He had committed crimes. And yet he wasn't crucified. On Passover, he was set free like that second goat. And Jesus was the atoning sacrifice. But Barabbas is all of us. That's that's really the cornerstone of the Christian faith, that we are all Barabbas. We were all meant to die for our sins, to stand guilty before the judgment seat. But Jesus sets us free and he incurs our punishment and our wrath. When you understand that, you understand the entirety of the Christian faith. But there's another thing going on here. And I I coined it Jesus versus Jesus. You see, Pilate asked him, which one do you want me to release to you? And ironically, Barabbas was also named Jesus. Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas means the son of Abba, son of a father. Kind of lazy naming, if you ask me. Or Jesus who is called the Messiah. And when you think about what each Jesus represented, you have again, how do we deal with injustice and oppression as a community? Jesus Barabbas 
we had Jesus Christ, the son of God, as Jesus Barabbas is the son of a father or human father. We have Jesus Christ, the son of God. He's a lamb. He absorbs sin. He sacrifices to love his enemies. He calls us to forgive. So this is one savior, one Jesus that the people, Israel, could ask for as king. And then there's a second Jesus, Jesus Barabbas, son of father, or maybe if you think about it, the way of man versus the way of God. He's notorious, meaning he's really well known and popular in Jewish culture as well. Maybe he wasn't as renowned as Jesus Christ, but he was known as an insurrectionist. He had a, a band of followers. He was a military leader. And his goal was to live by the sword as opposed to Jesus asking Peter to put down his sword and to overpower the Roman Empire, to cause a rebellion, to create uh, such a large army that they would take over the Romans. And so this was the question that Pilate was posing before the Jewish people. Do you want a man of violent insurrection or a man of peaceful justice? Do you want a man of the sword or a man of the cross? Do you want a tall and mighty King Saul or do you want a little shepherd boy, a man after God's own heart? And the Jews chose the man of the sword. And I get that. You know, I, when we look at violence, hate, and overpowering, like taking control, outnumbering the opposition, that kind of makes sense versus sacrifice, love, and conversion, which feels weak and helpless and insignificant. You know, before I share the story, I need to let you know that of the top five most important men in my life, two of them are related uh, to the police force. One's a huge volunteer, and the other is, um, is, is a directly on the police force. And so I get that there are really good cops out there doing their job, putting their life on the line uh, for us. And yet, you know, Facebook kind of just feeds you the videos you want to see. So I've been on this thread of like police brutality videos. I understand that it's a segment of what's out there. And just yesterday, um, man, two videos just really got to me. One was, I, I'm sure a lot of you guys seen it, this older man, 75 years old, holding a police helmet, maybe trying to hand it back to them, getting pushed down. And, his bleed, and he's just unconscious. His head is bleeding. He has a cane on him. And I just didn't get it. I just don't get how you can think, how you can think about pushing an old man who has a cane. I don't understand. I don't get it. And I was just super angry. But then there's this other video. It's not a full video. I don't fully understand the situation. But I'm finishing up my sermon, right, at 1.15 a.m., right here yesterday night. And I'm, like, packing up, closing my laptop, ready to go home. Again, that freak, you know, Facebook just gives you what you want to watch. So I watched this video of two officers just a few days ago in Las Vegas uh, putting a chokehold on this black 
kid, um, another cop holding his legs down. He's just yelling at him, do not resist arrest. But this, this 12 or 14-year-old boy was literally suffocating. He couldn't move. His arms were going limp. They were moving like involuntarily. He wasn't this big, black, six foot three, muscular man. His, he was like, he had like baby fat on him. His cheeks looked like Liam's. His arms were skinny. And he was just being completely overpowered. And so it's like 1.15 a.m. And I'm devastated. I don't know, somehow, maybe for the first time, I saw my son in a black man. Um, and I just started writing to like the police department of Las Vegas, the mayor, you know, I'm like, what do I do? And then there was just this deep seated anger that welled up inside me again, again, after so many days of violence. So I get picking Jesus Barabbas. There's moments where that makes so much more sense than Jesus, the Lamb of God. And when I look at us Christians, there's times where we're following Jesus Barabbas. We're, we hate or hateful. We use violent rhetoric. And instead of winning over the other side, our only agenda is to overpower them. Whether that's Christians who want to send military to just kind of run over protesters or Christians for Black Lives Matter, but still saying that we should kill the police. We're not following Jesus, Messiah. We're following Jesus, Barabbas. And again, I'm angry too. But when you look at the Jews choosing Jesus Barabbas, they, they got what they wanted. 30 years later, they followed Jesus Barabbas or many iterations of him into Jerusalem, overthrowing the Roman Empire. And then, as Dave explained so eloquently over three sermons, they were overpowered and crushed by the Romans. And that's world history, isn't it? One power rising up against the other and the other being diminished and silenced and squashed, controlled, but not changed. No heart is changed. No, no man or woman is converted. Their hearts are more hateful. And when they have an opportunity, they come back even stronger. And then you see the message of Christ, of sacrifice and forgiveness and love. And his disciples doing the same under heavy persecution. They were not about insurrection and violence. They were about love. And that message spread throughout the Roman Empire. And it became a groundswell in the face of Christians being martyred at the Colosseums, being lit on fire by Emperor Nero. 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 But then Constantine came. Weird conversion story. Wasn't the best guy. But somehow the gospel scratched at his door. And he made some really radical changes. He basically backed the church. Christians came out of hiding. He ended the Colosseum because he 
believed it was anti-Christian, and it was. He allowed prisoners to see daylight instead of being darkness their whole lives. He consecrated the Sabbath day and, and asked all industries to be closed except for the one of freeing slaves. Now, he did some horrific things in his lifetime as well. But somehow, the, Jesus Barabbas was crushed. But Jesus, the Messiah, turned an empire because it was about converting hearts, not overpowering bodies. That's the power of love and sacrifice. That's the power of our, of our message. That's the Christian message. That's what following Jesus looks like. And I wonder if we've been doing that in our own souls. In the midst of every division, have we demonized the other party and allow our hearts to grow in hate and violence? Or, or in this passage, Romans 12, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is our heart's desire to exemplify love across the lines so that someone else might turn. They might not turn to a Republican or a Democrat, but maybe they'll turn towards justice, towards love, and towards peace. There's a few pictures of this in the midst of violence and chaos, in the midst of police brutality and police being shot at. I have a photo of two black men on each side giving each other a fist bump and then another photo which brought me to tears of a, a black child holding up a sign that says free hugs. And holding a police officer. And I would say that's what it means when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That's what it means to follow Jesus, Messiah. That's what it means to be Christian. To convert through love and sacrifice. And isn't that how all of us walked into his kingdom? The, the person who could overpower the easiest, right? Jesus, Peter pulls his sword. Let's take over. I don't, we don't need an army. We got 12 of us versus 2,000, but you resurrect the dead. So it's like an infinite army. Let's go, right? He pulls out his little fisherman sword. He's ready, to, he's ready to fight. And what does Jesus say? Put away your sword, Peter. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. Don't you know? I have a legion of angels in heaven who are basically invincible. I probably need like three to wipe out this army. I could do it with a few words. If anyone were to overpower us with ease, it would be Jesus. If anyone would want to come and conquer, it would be him. But Jesus comes as a servant, dying on the cross, forgiving us, that while we were, yet, we were enemies of God, he died for us. And then... He says, follow me.
follow me. Give your life up. You sacrifice. You love your enemies and forgive. And then convert them. Turn their hearts so that we're not binding hands or silencing voices. We're turning hearts. Jesus does this. He does this a billion times. He did it for us. How do we do that for another? God, we come to you this morning in a fractured country, not just of race or politics, but of Christians. Our, our, the, the testimony of Christians have been fractured because we're following many of us, and I get it, Jesus Barabbas. God, as we think upon your crucifixion, as we see you silent, as we watch you forgive and sacrifice and absorb injustice, absorb the nails, absorb even death upon yourself and give life and grace and peace. You know, we're taught to, as we take pain, to give pain back and you showed us how to take death and give life and we need that Lord we need that in the church in Christian community and in this nation help us Lord help us to do this in our own souls help us to do this in our city help us to be bridge builders instead of putting up walls help us to hold hands instead of use fists help us to speak words of life instead of destruction and death lord allow us to follow jesus messiah the god who had power the strongest arms that created the universe and hold all things in your hand lord you held your hands on a tree post to be whipped. It wasn't the chains or the soldiers. You gave your own life for us. Help us to live like you did, Lord, like the early church, to win hearts and minds through love and sacrifice over, over years. I just bless my brothers and sisters with another message. Another message, Lord. A message of peace. I think about the voice that we have and used. I think about how easy it is to portray violence and anger and hate. I pray that we would portray anger and peace and love. We would use our platform in a different way this week. We thank you for the people who have already done it and given us pictures of it. We thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we, we want to enter into a time of communion. And so if you have the elements with you, please take it at home with me. Remember um, the bread as Jesus' body broken for us and the cup as his blood shed. And remember that this is the Jesus that we follow. Following him means shedding our blood and having our body broken to forgive, to absorb pain, and to give peace and love. 
Would you take the elements with me? Father, we just thank you so much for the kind of God you are, humble, merciful, and world-changing. You changed this world through your love and sacrifice. You've changed my life. Help us, Lord, to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.